Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Daily Thread. If I had a penny for every person who said to me, is it The Daily Thread or The Weekly Thread? Guys, we are trying. We are trying over here to record episodes and get them to you, but we figured we'd record one right before Rosh Hashanah um, and get you some news stories, get you some uh, stories going on in the world. And as we prepare for Rosh Hashanah. I think people just want to, they want to hear just uh, intelligent, um, high level, not too high level, the conversation about the, the things that all people similar to us and, you know, in our type of lifestyle, although not specifically limited to that type of lifestyle, what, what we're thinking about and what we like to talk about at different times during the year. And that can go, that could, that could be about seasons like Rosh Hashanah, like the Yom Tov, which we're dealing with now. It could be uh, news stories, you know, locally uh, in Jewish communities. It could be re- relevant to Israel. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Jewish life is very, very vibrant. And I'm sure one of the things you notice in the course of your young life is that uh, one of the great contradictions of the world, since God created the world, is the small numbers of the Jewish people in a world of 8 billion people with about 15 million Jews, which we like to say is uh, less than the amount of people in the margin of error of the Chinese census, and um, the impact that Am Yisrael, that the Jewish people, uh, have from all different directions and all different ways. Just look what's going on. I mean, it comes out Sunday, Shabbos, and Sunday is Rosh Hashanah this year, so it doesn't have the impact on the world that it, yeah. uh, it will come out if every other was Sunday and Monday and Tuesday with Rosh Hashanah. The world would come to a standstill. A big part of the world would come to a standstill. Half of the people in the White House would be out, you know. Um, and, well, you know, um, you know who wouldn't be out? Joe Biden. First of all, I think Joe Biden would be out because it's probably nap time. But Kamala Harris, even though she, uh, her husband is Jewish, they she they were holding. Yeah, they they. I don't know. Is he actually Jewish? Is Doug Emhoff's mother Jewish? I'm curious. Do you know I that? By, I wasn't by his breast. I don't know who his mother was or is. Um, I, I don't know if a guy says he's Jewish, uh, you want to do a genealogy traits, you could, uh, you could always do that, but um, I'm just curious, like, uh, if, if a guy's actually Jewish, anyways, want to start off this episode by, by really, um, wishing our condolences to the Groucher family, obviously Deddy Groucher yes, passed Daddy. away earlier this week. Uh, Deddy was an absolute legend. Uh, Ibal Chesed, an amazing, amazing person. Forget about what he did for music, which was just fun. He was just a great performer. He had a great time. Uh, but as a person, uh, his his praises are being sung by so many different types of people, including uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who who he said that Daddy once sang for a woman in the hospital with a brain tumor. And on his way out, Daddy said, "Please invite me to your wedding when you recover." A few years yeah. later, Daddy received an invitation from her. Unable to attend that night, he traveled the next day to surprise her at the Shabrachas. Daddy was a yeah. true embodiment of Ahavis Yisrael. He made people happy with his unique talent to light up hearts and make people laugh. He was with us in moments of joy and sorrow. A big smile would spread across our faces when he would just walk into the room. Who didn't love Daddy and the good soul and the light that radiated from him? We are crying with his family and with countless admirers of this good and wonderful man. That is from Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who was a friend of Daddy. Um, do you have any any Daddy memories? I I was very young when his music was like sort of peaking. All I remember about Daddy was that he loved Kosher Delight in in the yeah. city that no longer is open. Um, uh-huh. But do you, 
Do you remember anything about that? Well, listen, you know, in the in the late seventies and the early eighties, I was uh, did a music radio show uh, on on WFMU and then WNYM, and Daddy's music was a, uh, a regular uh, part of the uh, rotation of the music that we played because he has such a a musical presence, really had a spectacular voice and uh, tremendous range, and uh, you couldn't help but uh, be uh, you know grabbed by anything that he uh, sang, whether it was a concert, whether it was live, or it was recorded. And um, I got to know his son, Shai. Um, Wait, by the way, and- Shai is, Rabbi Shai is, is, is extremely well known in Israel. And he is, he was a very, very close chaver of Rav Chaim Kanievsky. Yes, yes. Um, I, got, I got a lot of pictures of Shai presenting sperm that he authored or uh, that he was involved yeah. with. Uh, and, um, I met him, you know, I met him once, um, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, I was in Israel. I was uh, there for the yard side of my father. It was Hanukkah time. And um, when Shai, I met him in Shul uh, in the Waldorf. And when he found out that I was there for, I was saying Kaddish, my father was at yard side. He put together a whole Chabura and we had, we had a shear and we had a minion. And, um, and uh, he put that uh, all together, and we've been in touch pretty, uh, pretty much ever since then. And a few years ago, I, um, I went to his, his brother got married, and I went to the wedding in Tel Aviv. Uh, oh, really? Where, uh, you you happened to have been in Israel, or you went to Israel for that? No, no, no. I was in Israel. I was in Israel okay. at the time, and I went to his brother's wedding. And, um, and I have to tell you that uh, Abram Fried sang on the Chuppah. And uh, it was a really a, um, a, a spectacle to, to, to behold. The, the stars yeah. that were there, the prominent people were there. Now, I think now um, someone in Shai's family is, uh, I think Shai, not, no, not in Shai's family, in Daddy's family, I think his wife is related to uh, Ambassador David Friedman's wife. So I think the, their cousins... And uh, they were at uh, they were at the wedding. Uh, that's uh, I know him a long time, but I saw him at that wedding, and it was uh, uh, it was a great night. But at the time, I also heard at the same time that and this goes back. I guess goes back. Let me see. You're married. What? Four years? Five years? Before I'm you were four married. Four years. Yeah. Four so years. It was about five, so let's say it was five years ago, and um, and um, there was uh, there was talk then uh, that you know that he was dealing with health issues. So it's at least five years ago that I that I heard about it, but yeah. um, it's a beautiful wedding and it was a great experience and uh, it was very uh, very unique. Uh, I know I remember I was on the phone with a shotgun about uh, for, uh, something about you while I was in the car on the way to Tel Aviv from Yerushalayim. Oh that's really? How, how'd that go? That's how, <laughs> that's how I can remember. That's how I'm able to remember. Um, that particular one didn't go so well, but uh, <laughs> that, that's how I'm able to remember the time. The time frame uh, on that, uh, but uh, he was a great talent, and uh, yeah. he passed away way, way, way too young. He was just sixty-two years old. Uh, that's a beautiful family, and um, he'll be uh, he'll be remembered. He'll always have a presence uh, for, yeah. for musical reasons and personal reasons. I think in, in everyone's life. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Obviously, we are in the in the day leading up to Rosh Hashanah. Uh, preparations around the world are taking place, especially in Uman, where tens of thousands of people have descended. Um, despite the the war that's still going on, um, we see videos of of breast lovers wrapping tefillin on on uh, Ukrainian police officers who who happen to be Jewish. So, 
So you know what? Who, who might who uh, might be Jewish? Who, who are potentially Jewish? A lot of, a lot of love and respect to the people who are who made that trek, made that journey to to Uman. You know, I'm not going to come on here and see, you know, I I personally, it's not it's not my type. I don't uh, I don't understand so much how someone could leave their family for for you know a yantif and and go, but. For some people, that 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 is what they do, and I and I totally respect it, and and I think it's important to have that nuance and be able to be you know okay with something different than what you are accustomed to. Um, well, I think it's yeah. Considering that there's a war going on between Russia and uh, and Ukraine, and Uman is right in the center of the country. If you look at the map, do you think? Um, yeah, you saw that video people sent out yesterday of the guy sticking on the plane. Yeah, uh, the, the it was going uh, to Uman. A flight attendant was was, was, yeah, was like yeah 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 riling up yeah. the crowd yeah that's right it was a, it was a nice scene but uh, do you think that more uh, families do you think that more wives encourage or discourage their husbands to go to Oman for uh, for Rosh Hashanah you think it's uh, well, I, encouraging I think them the, I think the obvious like the the expected answer is oh wives are probably not encouraging their spouses to go be home we have a family. I would say um, that there probably are a surprising amount of wives that that do encourage their husbands to go. They see it as their spiritual uh, their spiritual peak of the year when they they go to Uman for these days and they spend it uh, they spend it by their Rebbe. Um, Rav Nachman, Rav, yeah. Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman's Breslov, you know. So that that's the people talk about it really in a, in a more humorous context. I think you know that. Women can't wait for their husbands to go away beyond to get everyone gets a little bit of a break. Then with the kids, the husbands can't wait, wait to get away for a few days, Rosh Hashanah, because it's a big, it's one big, it's a lot of davening, of course, but it's really one big party. The, just from nothing, I haven't experienced it. Just from the videos that I that I've seen. So I um, mean, I, I, you have to also understand though that not many people are less necessarily eating, sleeping, living in the conditions that they're accustomed to at home. So yeah, I I think that it's it's a mix between a party and a spiritual journey, and there are sacrifices that are made along the way. I, I think that there are people who made the journey, even during Corona and even during last year when the war was was more intense than it is now. Seemingly, um, there there are people who are who are serious serious uh, Brusselers, and they don't miss a year. And and you know, I think the same way people will walk to the aisle from Cedarhurst on on Gimel Tamas and make that, that mm. multi-hour walk, people go to, to Uman for Rosh Hashanah. I, I, don't, I don't view it as, oh, they're going to get away. Oh, it's a party. I think they're making sacrifices to be there. Um, I, think yeah, the jokes, their, I think the jokes about uh, leaving their family and getting time off, I think those are just jokes. I don't, I don't, I don't know if they carry much weight. I, I could be naive, though. Yeah, but there are, there are also people that, you know, let's see, diving, most, a lot of shuls are going to start Eight o'clock in the morning. It's not a little bit earlier. Let's say eight o'clock, right? Eight o'clock Shabbos morning, birthday Rosh Hashanah. Shabbos will be. I mean, davening will be shorter because there's no chauffeur. Okay, because it's Shabbos. So okay. think of your everyone with finish. Some people just can't sit in your shul five, six, seven hours. So uh, you know, you know you interesting. Can't do that. The, the older the older I get, the harder I find it to be to to sit. And I wonder if it's like the advances of technology and the whole year and everything. Of just funny. like, I, the older I get, the harder I find 
the harder I find I mean, it. I, 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 I tell you the truth. I don't remember you sitting too much, uh, even when you were much younger. You know, I I beg to differ. <laughs> I sat plenty. I think I remember even getting uh, compliments from the the older fellows. <laughs> remember, Nyman Shul sitting around us saying, uh-huh, "Wow." Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow, that that redhead kid could sit so nicely for that's, such a long period a, of time. That's a dominating. That's a dominating. But anyway, but you know, it's uh, so. I mean, I think what I'm trying to get at is, I think that as an alternative uh, to go to Oman, you know, uh, have a little bit of freedom, and uh, of course, if you're serious-minded and you take you internalize the reality of what Rosh Hashanah is, the start of a new year, reflecting on the past and seeking to strengthen yourself. Uh, for the future, you know, everybody, it, it, it's on the merit system. It's on the honor system. You have to be honest with yourself. Um, and um, But then there's the, the superficialities uh, that come along with that. You know, can you sit in your shul? You have to walk out, you know. Uh, they have to go for a walk in the middle of davening. You need a break. Listen, I, I don't know if we discussed it here in this program, but I've written about it in the paper over the years. I was brought up in Crown Heights, and uh, in Crown Heights, uh, we davened in 770. Um, my father, uh, we started 1030 in the morning. On Rosh, Rosh Hashanah? And, you know, and Yom Kippur also. Okay. Rosh Hashanah, we, we started 1030, and we finished around 230. And we had a break also, because we went to hear the Rebbe blow tekiahs downstairs in the main shul. So, the Rebbe's you know, minion also would start at 1030 on Rosh Hashanah? No, the Rebbe started like about, Rebbe came in about 10 after 10 a.m., Okay. So the the reason we started ten thirty, I believe, if I recall correctly, the reason we started at ten thirty was because everybody wanted to be downstairs to see the Rebbe come into shul at ten after ten. Then you right. need time to get back upstairs, and then Pesuka de Zimmer would start at ten thirty, and you go at a good pace, and you get to Kriyas Tyra by uh, eleven thirty, twelve, and uh, you see, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Then I then I then I left Crown Heights. I got married. I left Crown Heights. I lived in different neighborhoods. I lived in Brooklyn for a while. Then I came out here 30 years ago to the five towns. Different shuls. You mentioned Rabbi Nyman, for example. Um, yeah. Other shuls. And, and it was just, it, it had took getting adjust. You have to adjust to different types of, uh, different types of davening. And everything that I, everything that I was introduced to, I had to compare to what I was brought up in. And what I evolved And it's, and especially of, what you grew, and what you grew up in is extremely different from anywhere else. Like, you you won't find another community or shul that starts at ten thirty. No, and as a matter of fact, when I lived in Brooklyn on East Twenty Seventh Street before you were born, probably started um, seven thirty. No, there were, there were guys in the block that they were down in Chaim Berlin, for example. They started at seven a.m. on Rosh Hashanah and they came back at five. Well, what are they doing? What, do you, what can you do? What can you do from seven a.m. to five? I think they're well, dominating for Yom Kippur. Also, maybe they did Rosh Hashanah we, and Yom Kippur on one day. We did ten thirty to two thirty, and we had extra time. So what are these people doing from 7 to 5? Listen, um, I think, I, you know what, the, oh, there's a lot of talk about what time, you know, like, what time did you dive until? How was the chauffeur blowing? All, all this talk. I think <laughs> that if you find, if someone could find the right place for them to dive in, nothing else matters. You know, I, I just recently, in terms of Yom Narayim, I used to dive in at one shul. I, I started diving in Kalman Vakshish, General Zakatinsky, the last couple of years for, for Ashanti Yom Kippur. And... It, it, to me, it doesn't really matter what time they go go until. Um, in fact, last year, in, you know, Ni'ila, we went over. We went over probably by 15, 20 minutes, maybe even longer. Yeah. And and, yeah. and and something like that would would drive me crazy younger. And when I say younger, I don't mean when I was 15. Even like a couple of years ago, like 
Yom Kippur is over. Like, don't don't go ten minutes overtime. Or it's all a long day. We're all fasting. We're all hungry and thirsty. Yeah. Everything. Don't go overtime. But you know what? It didn't bother me because this is it was the right place for me. I really enjoyed it. It was a beautiful davening. The rub was great. It, like if I I think, and this was just my hot take. If you're somewhere and you find yourself constantly complaining about they're going too slow, they're not ending early enough, blah blah blah, then I think that the issue is that you don't appreciate the davening that's happening there, and maybe you should take stock, and maybe you need to find a place for you. And what you call uh, it? A, 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 what do you call it? A hot take? What's a hot take? Hot take is like something that people might not agree with. Like it's it's a hot like take. A hot yeah. take. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'll have to start, I'll have to study that. You agree with that? I think that like there's a lot of talk about about oh how quick are they going? Are they going? Well, maybe you're just not in the right place. If that's what you're focused you know, there, on, there are certain there are like three or four fundamental questions in from Jewish life that nobody else could relate to, and and one of those questions is what time did you finish on Rosh Hashanah? Another one is uh, what time did you finish your seder on Pesach? Okay, and I think a third one is. Like uh, if you're in Woodburn in the summer and you meet somebody that you haven't seen in 50 years uh, or 20 years, you can say to them, where are you? And they know what to mean. They, they, but if you ask anybody else in the world that you come in contact with in the course of a day, the course of a week, and you say to them, where are you? They won't know what you're talking about. But if you meet them in Woodburn on a Saturday night in the summer and you say, where are you? They want to know where you're staying for the weekend, where you have a home, where you have a bungalow. They understand it's a it's a question to question that you give an answer to, but that's yeah. only that's very that's very unique to uh, to to this type of, of lifestyle. Anyway, I think um, I mean I, I like the way Yantif comes out this this year. You know, it's um, well, you're a bit you're a business owner, and it doesn't affect your business. So do other people do other people think about that too. I think so. You think it's I think so. It doesn't get in anybody's way. Well, not not way. not that Yantif ever gets in, in anybody's way, but but it, it, you know there are different different days of the week that it could fall out that could cause a little bit of a inconvenience. Well, you know, by uh, I don't know, it's a, it's a call it uh, in a position maybe. You know, you have to you have to um, you have to what you call scamper around, uh, especially uh, okay, even, even even Yom Kippur. I mean, looking forward. To, uh, a week from the Sunday. A week from Sunday is going to be Arab Yom Kippur. So Sunday night. Sunday night uh, Yom Kippur, Monday, yeah. Monday, Monday's Yom Kippur. You know, there's a certain way that the untimely come out that it takes over the entire week. And there's certain times that it doesn't. This is one of the years. I don't know what Pesach is going to be like. Uh, we should live and be well and get there. But I, I know that uh, I looked at the calendar a long time ago and I saw that, oh, that 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 uh, it's uh, it's it's good the way the way you know, it comes out. <laughs> it's good. Uh, it's know? good. Let's be real. Yeah, it's I mean, always, it's always mean, good. You can't you can't you can't move it around, but um, uh, but it's good. But like I said, uh, Shabbos is no chauffeur, uh, and you have to understand why there's no chauffeur. The pushing shot about why there's no chauffeur is the Gemara says because somebody might carry a chauffeur on Shabbos. You're not allowed to carry on Shabbos. I find but, it to be so interesting though, because you know, like. I get. I guess Reform Judaism doesn't have these issues because Reform Judaism says, "Hey, listen, we have, we have Erevin. Well, they don't really hold. They probably don't. They, yeah, that's just a moot, a moot point because they probably don't. They're not mocked on that either. You know, but like, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't. Reform Judaism. First of all, we have a Reform Temple that used to be very active right near here. Yeah, it's not so active I anymore. I remember I, I, as a I'm, kid that that those cars used to be lined up. There used to be hundreds of people at that temple on Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, but I think I think reform holds one day Rosh Hashanah, not two. 
So, I mean, it's not it's not inconceivable that they're going to keep Rosh Hashanah on Shabbos, and and they're going to blow shofar on Shabbos. Otherwise, yeah, it's not you know, there, there's uh, there's there's a podcaster that I listen to. They happen to be Jewish. They're not religious, but they 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 very much are familiar with the lingo and Yiddishkeit. I think they grew up in Jewish schools and everything. And I wouldn't call them reform. I would, and I wouldn't call them rebellious either. I think maybe they they were just grew up. I don't even know how to describe them, but they'll say words like Baruch Hashem and Chinuch. They'll literally say words like Machlokas, and and they'll talk yeah. about Rosh Hashanah like, okay, so we're not having a podcast on Rosh Hashanah because it's the high holiday, but the second we only hold one day, and and Yom Kippur we're we're very very scared about because you have to fast. But you know what? Last year I was watching Netflix the whole day and I got through it. Like. Yeah. <laughs> what? Like what? How? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I, it, and it bothers me so much because, like, dude, you're Jewish. Like, you can do so much better than that. The guy, it's crazy. The guy used to go. Uh, uh, one guy used to work for us. Went to Reform Temple. They consider, you see, we, they consider Jews, themselves from. You should know. They, Reform, that's right. Ref- they they look at themselves as they 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 happen to be they happen to be Reform, and we happen to be Orthodox. Our Orthodoxy is not better than their Reform. And the conservative is not better than the reform. Everything has their own identity, and that's that's how they see it. So I, I got a guy that used to work for us. He retired a few years ago. He used to go to Reform Temple. He was one of the on the board of the Reform Temple. He was very proud of his involvement in the temple. But he told me that he walked with a friend during the break on Yom Kippur, and they went to a supermarket to buy some stuff after the fast because they were fasting, and they were giving out tasting stuff in the in the supermarket, and they forgot and they tasted stuff. So it happens. I don't know. Listen, <laughs> when Mashiach comes, what happens? What happens with all the reformed Jews? No, what happens? Listen, well, listen, first of all, we don't know what's going to happen. When Mashiach, we don't know what life is going to be like. There's a big machlokas. What's going to be like when Mashiach comes? Life is going to continue as is, but I think the thought process will be healthier and it will be more of a uh, Torah orientation. And godliness will have greater presence in our lives to an extent that it'll be palpable. We'll be able to feel it and understand it and internalize it and live not with somebody, you know, forcing you, holding you by your neck and forcing you to do something. And I also think most importantly, the rebelliousness that is uh, so, such a part of these peripheral, peripheral segments of Jewish life will also probably uh, probably disappear. Because, uh, you know, I could, he- I could hear you tell me that people... Uh, uh, the way they talk, they talk about the word machlokas and 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 uh, different things on a, on a podcast and watching Netflix all day. There's a segment of the Jewish population of you could tell what point in their lives they left or got kicked out of yeshiva. You know, you could tell yeah, some guys. I mean, went to, also some guy people grew up yeshiva, traditional. But if a, if a guy went to yeshiva until sixth or seventh grade, he knows enough to be able to carry with him the rest of his life, but he really knows nothing. But he knows enough. He knows he knows much more than everybody else. So he so could he's use the, that. He's 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 the Tom or he's the Shana Day Elisha. I don't know. You know they say they say in the world of the blind, the one the one eyed man is king. You know, so <laughs> he, <laughs> he he knows more than any he knows more than anybody else. You have guys in yeah. the White House. You, you know the Biden administration, for example, comes out with these almost Talmudic positions on certain policies. 
And you're thinking to yourself, well, who came up with that? Because the Mamasha has a, a root in the, in Talmudic thinking. And that I think to myself all the time, this is a guy who went to Yeshiva until, I don't know if he learned a little Mishnayas, maybe he had an introduction to Gemara. Maybe he was in sixth or seventh grade and he either got kicked out or left or went to public school and that was the end of it. Listen, I mean, that's that's why I hear, you know, what I do with Meaningful Men and Meaningful People, I try to cast a very wide net, especially on social media with the content we put out. And thank God we've been sort of like, you know, making progress. We have 110,000 followers now on Instagram and 75,000 on TikTok. Just be posting Jewish content and you never know, you know, which kicked out sixth grader 10 years ago that you're going to reach and sort of maybe rekindle something. Hopefully, so what, you know. What do you, what kind of feedback do you get from that? And the people outside the core of the community that you're familiar with? Uh, what type of feedback? Well, I think a lot of skepticism, you know, about, you know, things about re religion in general. Um, I think criticism, that, get criticism, not necessarily, not necessarily criticism. You know, I'm sure there are criticisms that, that happen. There's a lot of, a lot of comments, but, but I would say that, there's just a lot of curiosity, a lot of curiosity. There's a lot of things that, especially a lot of people who grew up traditional, they yeah. don't know about, like they have no clue. You know, you know, in my community over here uh, where I moved, they recently put up an Erev and mm -hmm. one of the people on the group, it, literally they completed it last night and the whole community has an Erev now and it's, and it's amazing. And one person remarked on, uh, on like one of the group chats in the community that, they recall last year their kid was outside and, and had a their kid had a runny nose one day on Shabbos and was outside in the front lawn mm -hmm. and they needed mm -hmm. the kid to get a tissue and they were screaming mm -hmm. at the kid, come here, get a tissue, come here, get a tissue. And she's like, mm -hmm. I can't imagine what the guy who was walking by my property was thinking, why I'm trying to get this two-year-old to come to the house to get a tissue and why I wouldn't just bring the tissue to them. But it would probably be mm -hmm. harder to explain to that person that I can't bring them the tissue because we don't have a string outside on Shabbos that allows right. me to bring it up. There right. are certain yeah. things that like there's so much curiosity because there's they just don't know. They don't know certain certain concepts. You know, it, it's, a, it's a combination of curiosity and um, and real almost encyclopedic uh, ignorance. You know, uh, I remember when they were had a struggle out in West Hampton, New York, about an area of. Rabbi Mark Schneier's school wanted to put up an Arab in the community. And the Jewish community there that was non-observant was fighting it. Uh, and there was a story in the New York Times. Why were they fighting it? Because these are, there were businesses owned by Jews that were open on Shabbos for decades. And, and one, of the, one of the people told the reporter, don't you know that it is an Arab? You're not allowed to be open on Saturday in that area, when you're in the Arab? Well, mm -hmm. That guy's been open on Yom Kippur for the last 30 years. Well, how can you? How does your mind jump to being afraid that you can't be open if your store is located in the Arab? That's where the, uh, like I said, the encyclopedic uh, ignorance comes from. It's, and you uh, know, nowadays there's a lot of. It's extremely popular, especially on social media amongst Jews. You have a few people, uh, Hana, uh, what's her name? Hana. Her last name is in Zwagi or something. You have that Jewish family, the Namdars. You have Melinda Strauss. Different types of Jews that are teaching the world about Judaism and they have millions of followers and they have millions of views on concepts like mikvah, on concepts like kashras, like things that, that people really just, they're super curious about. Like, what is, what does that mean? Why is the bride have a veil over her face and can't see? So I think that there's so much progress being made and I, and, I, and like, 
it's not about educating the non-Jews about Jews. Like maybe that's a, that happens like as a byproduct, but it's really, there are Jews out there that are not connected and this is a way to teach them about their heritage and maybe hopefully I mean, just look, uh, look, so, but so let's, uh, look, look, look at the impact Rosh Hashanah has on the world. Again, tiny population, Rosh Hashanah, you know, the anniversary of the birthday of the world. We're going to say it over and over again uh, in the davening, okay? Um, even if you don't blow shofar, you're going to say it over and over again. You're talking about the creation of the world 5,784 uh, 84 years ago. Um, so, I mean, what do we, and, and look at the, the public schools, for example. Okay, it's, it's Shabbos on Sunday this year, but next Monday, I'm kidding, public schools are going to be closed in New York. And probably around, I don't know about the other kind of cities or states around the country, but I know in the major population centers, like probably for certain, here in New York, because, I don't know, maybe 60, 70, 80% of the, of the, of the teachers are Jewish. And then they're, they're right. not coming to work. You can't you can't have a system function without your employees coming to work. So this is going on a very many many decades already, uh, with the schools closed because the, the yeah. place couldn't function, uh, and many businesses couldn't function. You know, uh, hospitals, uh, law firms, medical offices, they got to be closed. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Yep. Well, that anyway, is so our we're going into uh, for today. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was the episode for the week, I guess. Uh, that's the episode yeah. for the year. That's uh, that's the well, wrap. That's Mertesham, the wrap for the year. Mertesham, next year we will we will have a more busy schedule of recording, and um, we, we should only discuss out, uh, good news. Good news. Got to figure out. Got to figure out how to do that. Um, you know, next week. Uh, by the way, I know you want to end this. I want to go also next week. Uh, I was just reading when you called. Uh, that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu is coming to New York next week for the United Nations Exciting. General Assembly meeting. And he hasn't mm -hmm. got an invitation from President Biden to meet with Biden because you oh, know, he United hasn't. States no, but it's going out to San Francisco to meet with Elon Musk. Netanyahu he is. is. Well, is he going to, yeah. I'm curious, is, is he going to try to like get involved with this whole ADL situation? Because Elon Musk and the yes, ADL I said exactly, are going to end up in exactly, court. That's exactly what uh, he's going to speak to Musk about. ADL is not what it used to be. I remember the Anti-Defamation League in the olden days. Uh, Jonathan Greenblatt that runs ADL is a Democratic Party operative. He's a former employee in the Obama administration. Uh, he has uh, changed the ADL. It's not just protecting Jews from anti-Semitism, anti-Semitic attacks. It is doing the work. Uh, it's an arm of the Democratic... Uh, today, the ADL is the arm of the Democratic Party. And... Um, I thought and you were pro ADL for, for a while, but it doesn't sound like that right well, now. No, I remember. I remember when the ADL was run by Abe Foxman for many, many decades, and uh, when Jews were under assault or under attack, whether it was uh, physically or uh, uh, in the media, the ADL stood up uh, was the first to speak out. But it's not like that anymore. So, uh, um, what what Greenblatt from the ADL is, uh, is accusing uh, Musk of is tolerating by opening up the forum of uh, of x of twitter uh making it freer he's saying there's more anti-semitism than ever on 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 x well you know what the reality is is that elon musk has found himself in a potential 22 billion dollar lawsuit with the adl so um that's who's suing, that's, who's suing who well i think that elon musk, musk is suing musk the adl is, uh, because they're they're yeah, driving yeah, away yeah. they're driving, they're driving away, away advertisers. Business. They're driving away business by claiming that he is 
facilitating anti-Semitism. So it's is it a def is it is it a defamation lawsuit? Because how how ironic would it be that the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, is being sued for defamation? That's when you're only. That's what. That's why you're. Uh, it's called ADL, but they're not functioning like the ADL should be functioning. They you should just call sure. the DL, maybe the DL, the uh, defamation. I don't league. know what it's called. Maybe you should call it the. <laughs> uh, maybe called the uh, the IL, the injured list. I don't get it. What's it called when the play goes <laughs> on the sideline? Isn't it in the IL, I, I, the injured list? I understand, but how does that? Well, what is that like? Why does that? Look, how do you apply that today? The, they're not doing they're the work. They're, they're not. They're not representing the Jewish community properly. They just. Okay. Just now, not I, now I understand. You have uh, this uh, liberal uh, left-wing um, agenda that you're trying to uh, uh, spread and uh, and propagate. Anyway, you were in the middle of ending the episode. Yeah. Well. Good luck to Benjamin Netanyahu and Elon Musk. We'll try to cover that story as it takes place next week. Wishing everyone a beautiful, beautiful Rosh Hashanah, beautiful Yantif, and we will speak to you next week, Amen. next year. All the best. Next year, okay. Mitzvah Shem. Should be a good one. Have a great day, everybody.